0: You know, that thing about um, uh, hearing from the Scriptures, the same thing, more than one time, uh, you know, we need that. Uh, Hearing from the Scriptures is not like getting a piece of information that, now oh, now I've got the information. I'll put it in my phone. I've got that. I've got your contact. Great. Done. It's more like water for a plant. We need it over and over and over again. So would you grab your Bibles with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 is where we'll be today. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27 will be our focus text today. And would you join me in prayer as we look at God's Word? Heavenly Father, we ask. Together, That you would do just that. That you would water us through your word. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring your word to bear on our hearts. That we would grow. That we would be changed. These are the promises that you make about your word. That your word is like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces. And we have stony hearts, Lord. Would you do that, that your, your word is like food for our souls, that it is like water for our growth, that it is like bread. Lord, would you, by the power of your spirit, as we meet you in faith, transform us by your word, that we would become more and more like your son, that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We ask that you would do that. It's not something we can do. So we ask that you would do that. And by faith, we trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ephesians four twenty-six and 27. I've titled this message, Wide Open to the Enemy, because uh, this scripture actually speaks about what it means to be open in a vulnerable way to the enemy through the power of anger. The vulnerability of anger Um, wasn't long ago, and unfortunately I could probably tell you more than one story, uh, that I was stomping around my house mad at everybody, whoever it was, that had misplaced the pliers. (laughs) And not just any pair of pliers. You know that pair of pliers that you need for that job. And I didn't know who had not put it back where it belongs There's a place for everything, and everything should be in its place, and I don't know who it was, but I was just mad at everybody, you know, just to cover the ground, you know. Whoever it was, and then after some time, I stomped here, and I stomped there, and I finally stomped into the right place, and I found exactly where I had left them (laughs) when I had done that job. Last time, the job I needed. That's how anger is. You see everybody else's faults. You see everything but yourself. And it twists your mind in such a way as the scriptures describe here. And you know, the scriptures, we're going we're gonna to look at how Ephesians, how Paul in Ephesians describes what anger does. But anger is actually spoken about in, across every genre of scripture. In the Proverbs, in the Psalms, it's spoken to of in the law, it's spoken of in the gospel, it's spoken of in the letters through the churches. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, it's a part of what Paul shows to the church at Ephesus about how to live like the people of God. He says, you've got to take this off and you've got to put this on. And he goes through a whole list of things. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to live as the people of God, the people who have been ransomed by the grace of Christ. This is what it looks like. You're going to put these kinds of things off. right? You're going to put off stealing. You're going to put on generosity. You're going to put off falsehood, and you're going to put on living by the truth. And he gets to anger. This is one of the things at the top of his list. You're going to put off sinning in your anger. You know, everybody struggles with anger. Everybody. Not everybody's an alcoholic. Not everybody steals. Not everybody uh, commits adultery. But everyone struggles with anger. It's a universal problem. I have seen it among my playmates as a child. I've seen it amongst illiterate people in in, in African villages. I've seen it in my parents, who you think are perfect. (laughs) And they are very close. Very close. But even there, everywhere. And if I knew you well enough, I would see it there too, right? You see it. However it might look. Because sometimes, you know, it, it looks different. It's explosive, right? When someone explodes in anger, you say, oh, okay, but they're very angry. But it's also withdrawn, right? Or contempt, just a sense of contempt or bitterness or coldness or, or just grumbling and complaining, right? Just this grumbling and complaining that just sort of waves through our lives from a sense of anger that we all have to deal with before the Lord. And although the Bible has lots of things to say about anger, here in this passage, something fascinating about anger is revealed. That anger creates an opportunity for the enemy. The devil. The enemy of your soul, the enemy of the souls of your friends and your family, the enemy of the work of Christ, and the enemy of Christ's reputation... Your anger creates opportunity for Him. Let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. devil. My anger is the enemy's opportunity. So I better deal with it. My anger is the enemy's opportunity, so I better deal with it. Well, how? Well, this passage actually gives us some instruction about how. If if my anger is the enemy's opportunity, then here's one of the ways that I have to deal with it. I have to deal with it reverently. 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 I have to deal with it reverently. Here's what I mean by that word, reverently. You know, you you understand like, you know, like um, if people are are uh, in a commotion, a whole, a whole, as I say, even this morning, right, we're greeting one another. We're greeting one another. Everybody's talking and it's a great time. Or we're shaking hands. Or we're giving hugs. And, and then if someone were to just say from the microphone, let's pray, then everybody would stop, right? Oh, we're going to. We want to be reverent, right? Oh, focus. Right? When anger flares up in our hearts, it should trigger an alarm bell. Whoa. Hold still. Hold still. Let a holy hush come over me because I'm about to be vulnerable. I better be really careful here. Because what, is the, what does the Scripture say? In your anger, do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Now, now, be angry, doesn't. that's not a command. Go be angry. What the Scripture is saying is, in your anger, do not sin. What does that mean? It means it's really easy to sin when you're angry. So, oh, I'm angry. I better be careful. When you're angry... You should you should it should be like walking into a room where there are unmarked 20 dollar bills everywhere and, and calendar pinup girls on every wall and you should feel like it's going to be really easy to sin here. What am I going to do? But of course that's not how it feels when you're angry, does it? It doesn't feel like it's easy to sin when you're angry. It feels like I am right. Everybody else is wrong. I am right. And if in our anger we are utterly convinced of our complete righteousness, then we've probably already lost our balance. You with me? We've probably already lost our balance and we don't even know it. We're probably just about to be used as a tool in the hands of the enemy. You're an opportunity for him. He is about to rip a hole through your spouse's heart. He's about to rip a hole through your kid's heart. And he's going to use you to do it. And that's his favorite part. He gets to use you. Your vicious face. Your sharpened words. And he gets to wound one of God's image bearers. With your hands. It's a double victory for him. And a double loss for us. Your anger is a delicious opportunity for the enemy. He is looking for that kind of opportunity in your anger. He's he's like somebody who's riding in the passenger seat of your car and he's just hoping to get you into a wreck. When you're going 130 miles an hour, all he has to do is go like that. You're done for, right? If we're slowed down, if we're, if, you know, if we're cautious, if, you know, there's, there's not a lot that can throw us off balance, but going 130, when we're angry, all the devil has to do is just reach over for a second, just for a little nudge, and we're in the ditch. So when you feel the heat rise, be careful be reverent right probably not a bad idea to just say i it, i'm i'm angry i better pray let the, let let the reverence show let me get on my knees that's the hardest place to go when you're angry is to your knees but it's right it's right otherwise you will say rash words That will wound people that you have been entrusted with to care for and to love and to nurture. Let it trip an alarm to reverence. Recognize that the enemy is ready to use you like a power tool, and your motor is already running, it's already spinning. All He has to do is engage, and He's going to use you. So, power down. Get on your knees. Get reverent. Let your anger be an alarm bell. Well, what else does the Scripture say about how to deal with it? If the anger that I feel... Is an opportunity for the enemy. I need to deal with it reverently. I should let a holy hush come over me because I know I'm vulnerable. But here's another re- way that we are instructed to deal with our anger, and that is deal with it today. Deal with it today. You see, the thing is, it's possible to be angry and not sin, right? It's possible that your anger isn't necessarily sinful. Remember, I mean, God gets angry, and He is perfectly angry at the exact right things, in the exact right way, in the exact right proportions. It's not sinful. So if you are convinced that you are angry at the exact right things, in the exact right way, and in the exact right proportions, Okay but here's the deal. Even if that's true, you still have to deal with it on the right timetable. And that timetable is now. It's today. What does the Scripture say? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, is that like magic? Like... If the sun crosses the horizon, then like, that was the magic marked time for dealing with my anger. Like If, it's, if I get angry and it's 12 minutes to sundown, do I, does that mean I've got 12 minutes before the magic time goes away? Or what if I got angry just 12 minutes after sundown, then I've got exactly 24 hours? <laughs> the idea is deal with it urgently. Deal with it Urgently. Because there's an urgent vulnerability. You know, some things you've got to take care of right away. It won't stay alive for you long. The time window will close. The vulnerability is now. And we have to deal with that urgently. Urgently. There are several other examples in scripture that we see that Paul's probably even referring to that had to do with this kind of urgent vulnerability. Like, for example, um, there was an ancient practice that was given to us in scripture, given to the people of Israel, that if they held a poor man's coat for collateral for a loan, it was required that they give it back to him before the end of the day. I, I'm not just going to hold on to this forever. Because why? Because he would be vulnerable over during the night to the cold. He wouldn't be able to use that as a blanket. Or here was another one. If, if someone um, had done work for you, you were required to pay them at the end of the day. Otherwise, they would be vulnerable to the embarrassment of going home without wages and being able to feed the family. Or, here's a third one. If uh, a city, a guarded city, had walls, then before the end of the day, it was required that we close the gate to the city. Otherwise, what? The city would be vulnerable to attack or assassination or despise. And... That's the kind of example that Paul's referring to here when he's talking about the urgent need to deal with our anger. Because we're vulnerable, and our relationships are vulnerable, and other people are vulnerable in that situation, we have to deal with it urgently. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? Like, the, the city gate is open while that anger goes unresolved. And the enemy... he's not just taking his time. He's going to get in there as fast as he can. So you better be faster. The enemy loves to find vulnerability, to say despair. Oh, he would love nothing more. While you indulge your anger and you just take your sweet time and just let it sit there, he would love to sneak in and plant seeds of despair in your kids or your parents or your spouse that they would start to think it's never going to get any better. They say they love me, but they really don't. I'm worthless. I'm just a big hassle to them. It- the enemy would love to plant seeds like that. And he's not taking his time. So go to them right away. Go to them. Wake them up if you need to. Wake your spouse up if you need to. Say, let's deal with this right now. In the morning, the breakfast rush, out the door, when are you going to get a hold of it? The seeds are already planted. And the effects of your anger will work down into the sediment of their heart, it won't disappear. You think it disappears? Unresolved anger doesn't disappear. It dissolves. It dissolves into our relationships in in ways that we can't see and can't retrieve. Go right away. Resolve things urgently. The enemy would love to find vulnerability to despair. The enemy would love to find vulnerability to division. Right? He would love to sneak in and work your unresolved anger into tainting the way you talk about people behind their backs. Right? Just so that there's a a tone of disrespect That there's enough for other people to pick up on. So then then they can carry those those unresolved things. They can carry that, that division with them. Before long, there's a whole swath of people that have been talking in a way that's laced with divisiveness. And even if you eventually get around to resolving the issue... In the meantime, you've left the gate open for days. And the enemy gets in and he does his work. But if you'll deal with anger urgently, you'll close up the vulnerability. That's the call. Deal with it today. So if the anger that I have in my life is a vulnerability to the enemy, if it's his opportunity, this scripture calls me to deal with it reverently. Let it let it let it guard me. Let it warn me. Oh, it's easy to sin here, and I need to deal with it urgently. Right? Deal with it today. But I also need to deal with it biblically. I need to deal with it biblically. I mean, this this passage here in Ephesians speaks to this this element of vulnerability, but the Bible actually speaks to anger in a lot of different ways, and we need to have kind of like a a little bit of a a systematic theology of anger, have a a, a survey of what the Bible has to say about anger so that we can deal with it, and we can deal with it quickly, and we can deal with it reverently. So deal with it biblically. Let's, Let's look at a few different places where the Bible speaks about anger so we can understand it better. Here are a few. Here are five. Biblical realities about anger. Number one is this. My anger is about my desires. My anger is about my desires. That's what James says. James chapter 4 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. My anger is about my desires. My anger goes from, and and Dr. Paul Tripp puts this so well, my anger goes from, I want... Right? I want something, probably a good thing. Right? It's it's fine to want. Anybody here want anything? Anything wrong with that? No, as long as those desires are are proper and in proper proportion. Right? It's okay to want things, but they have to be submitted to the will of God, as He has given it to us in Scripture and as His providence provides but what happens our desire goes from i want to i must right it shifts from desire to demand now the, the 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 my heart is closing its fist over this desire and then it goes from i want to i must to i will right it's gone from a desire to a demand to a need i'm convinced that I need this. This is now essential to my life. Has the Bible told me it's essential to my life? Has God providentially brought it to me? No, my heart is committed. And then it goes from, I need to. How about this? You should. <laughs> right? From desire to demand to need to expectation. You should, because if I need it and you love me, then you should do what you could for what I need. And then, of course, it shifts to you didn't. You didn't. You should have, but you didn't. Disappointment. So much of Our conflict is driven not because someone has actually wronged us, but because they've just failed to meet expectations. Expectations that weren't necessarily godly already. And then, because you didn't, I'll punish you. Some ways that are subtle, some ways that are not so subtle. You have broken the law of my kingdom, which is that I get what I want, and I punish you. And that is the expression of anger. Unholy anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not express this kingdom of your own heart that says, I should have whatever it is I want, and who crosses me, they will be punished usually with words. Lord, show us how the enemy has worked to twist and elevate and enthrone our desires. Lord, by Your grace, this, this is a prayer that would be worth praying every day. By Your grace, remove my desires from the throne of my heart, because that's where you belong. You're the only one that belongs on the throne of my heart, Lord. Take my desires off. Put them in proportion. Put them in the right place. One biblical reality about anger, it's about my desires. Here's a second. My anger needs attention from surface to core. It needs attention on the outside, and it needs attention on the inside. You know what I mean by that? Right? So, for instance, Luke chapter 6 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. When we deal with things, we've got to deal with them in here. Right? Not just shut up. But here's the other thing. Shutting up would be great. Great. Right? Proverbs tells us this, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Right? So, so here's a false dichotomy. Here's a, a false dilemma. Should I deal with the symptoms, or should I deal with the cause? Should I deal with the outside or should I deal with the inside should I deal with the surface or should I deal with the heart and the answer is yes you have to deal with both the enemy the enemy would love for you to give your heart no attention to just to, to just Ignore what's really going on in here, but as long as he keeps you, as long as you keep yourself quiet and just numb out with Netflix, just binge on Netflix and ice cream and call it anger management, (laughs) right? The enemy would love that, right? You know what he's saying? He's saying, yeah, I don't have him really wounding anybody yet, but I've really sidelined him and he's not dealing with his heart, so I'll just take it. I'll take that. I'll call that a win, even though he's not biting anybody's heads off. He's out out of the game. At the same time, he would also be thrilled for you to say, I really need to get to the heart of my anger issue. I need to deal with it at at the core where it really is, is, is truly an issue. And until I do that, I'm just going to pop off. I'm just going to go ahead and not be a hypocrite. So I'm just going to say whatever comes into my mind. I'm going to pop off, and I'm going I'm to bite people's heads off because, hey, you know, if, if it's in my heart, it's, I'm going to let it come out of my mouth. I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? The enemy would love that. The enemy would be just thrilled for you to either ignore it going on in your heart Or, since it's going on in your heart, go ahead and let it come out of your mouth. Our anger needs attention from surface to core. Both. Both. Restraint is good. And while you're restraining, also go to the Lord for true anger extinguishing in your heart. My anger is about my desires. My anger needs attention from surface to core. Here's another biblical reality about anger that we see. My anger hijacks my knowledge about God. My anger hijacks my knowledge about God. In my experience, and throughout Scripture as well, and I bet you've seen it too, religious people make the angriest people. You've seen that? Religious people can be the angriest people. You see that in Scripture? You see that in the Pharisees, right? You know, those guys, they were like the ultimate church people. And they were angry. They were angry at the Son of God. And they were angry at each other. They were angry at everybody. Well, what about Saul? Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul? If that was not a picture of an angry person, I don't know what. Religious. What about Jonah? Prophet of God. Angry at everybody. Certainly angry at Nineveh. So angry that he didn't want to deliver God's message when God told him and put him on God's errand to go open his mouth to these people. And he's so angry he's going to sail off in the other direction. In fact, that's how the book closes with God asking him Is it right for you to be angry? I saved these people. I saved these people through your preaching, even though you preach like the worst sermon in the world. I saved these people through your preaching, and you are angry at my grace. Yep. Religious people. Anger hijacks our knowledge about God. What do I mean by hijack? I don't just mean it. Help, it make, anger makes you forget what you know about God. I mean, anger uses what you know about God. Anger takes your knowledge about God. God says this is right, and it's true. It's true knowledge about God. God says this is right and this is wrong. And then you see someone who's not walking what's right. They're walking what's wrong. And your anger then distorts that and hijacks what you know about God. And now you're angry in an unrighteous way. It uses true knowledge about God in an unrighteous way. But, James tells us the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's the thing. If you're a church person, and based on the location that you're in this morning, I'm just going to guess that you're probably a church person. If you're a church person, watch out it is so easy for us and i'm a church person too right i i work at a church i'm like a professional church person church people listen it is so easy for the enemy to take what we know about god and its true knowledge and hijack it by the by the force of our anger and turn what we say and what we do into unrighteousness because of our knowledge about God that's true that's been hijacked and distorted in the way that we use it and the way that we talk about it the way that we talk about other people if you're a church person just recognize it's easier for you to be unrighteously angry Here's another biblical reality. My anger blinds me. My anger blinds me. It's related, actually, right? It's related to that third one. This is a little broader. And by blinds, I mean partially blinds. Right? You have to realize that most of the time, actually, blindness is really, we're talking about, like, when we're talking about legal, being legally blind, we're talking about, usually, I can still see some things, but I can't see everything. And that's how the blindness of anger works. It's not that you don't see anything. You just see the one thing. You just see the one thing that you're angry about. The perceived wrong. Everything else sort of drops from view. Especially other people's good. Especially your part in the problem. Especially your sin. Especially your heart. All of those things seem to drop out of focus. And we no longer see them. We've gone partially blind. All we see is the thing we're angry about. Right? You know the saying? Blind with rage. You saw that in King Saul. Right? You know the stories about King Saul. And, and though he had everything, and though he had been given truth by God, all of those things just started to fade from focus, and all he could see was his jealousy. Even King David, when he was walking in sin, he could not see, he would not see his sin, he would not see the grace of God and the repentance that was available to him until, until what? The prophet Nathan shows up and gets David good and angry. And he gets David good and angry about something a lot like what he, David, had done. And once he gets David good and angry about that thing that's a whole lot similar, then he flips the tables on him and says, you see it now, don't you? You see it now. And that's how anger works. It blinds you to just about everything else. Ask yourself, when we're dealing with anger reverently, right? A holy hush, I'm angry, so I better be careful. Would you be willing to ask this question of yourself before the Lord? Ask, am I willing by God's grace to really look at something besides what I'm angry about? Am I really willing to look at my own part? Am I really willing to look at the other person's good? They're not a monster. They're a person created in the image of God. Can I see it? Or is the enemy using my anger to distort and blind me? Well, fifth biblical reality about anger is this. My anger is extinguished by grace. My anger is extinguished by by grace. We talk about dealing with it. How do we deal with it at the heart? How do we bring it to the Lord? You know the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18? Can I just retell it a little bit? There's a king... King who's settling his accounts, and he's going over his books, and he he realizes there's somebody who owes him about five billion dollars, and so he brings that servant in, and he says, "You owe five billion dollars, and uh, since you can't pay, uh, I'm going to have to sell you and your whole family and everything that you own," and uh, and he says, well, "Just just." Give me a chance. I will pay. And the king has pity on him and says, you know what? I'm going to forgive your whole debt. Now, we get what's going on there, right? We we, we get how that applies to us. Do, Do we realize that God has forgiven all your debts, all your sin, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever failed to do. He has given you the righteousness of Christ and cleansed you from all unholiness. You stand before him justified before, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He's forgiven all your debts. But then the servant goes out. The servant goes out and he runs into a guy who owes him some money. Owes him like 15 grand, which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at, right? 15 grand, that's real money. And so he grabs the guy and he throttles him and he says, Pay back what you owe. And the guy says, Just give me a chance, I'll pay you back. And he has no mercy on him. The servant has no mercy on his fellow servant. And the other people, who were watching, they go back to the king and they say, do you know what happened? When that dude left here, he went out and throttled a fellow servant who owed him money. And the king had him come back and he said, what did he say? What was his address to him? Do you remember it? I have it here, so I'm cheating. He says this, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. Why was the servant wicked? I mean, did that guy not owe him money? He did. Wasn't, wasn't he within his rights to demand what was owed? Well, under ordinary circumstances. But these were extraordinary circumstances. These were gospel circumstances. This demonstrated that this man did not understand what had been forgiven him. He did not apprehend the grace that had been given to him. He wasn't walking down the street like someone who had been forgiven five billion dollars. He wasn't walking down the street like somebody who had just been graced by the king. That's wickedness. He should have run into that fellow servant and said, hey, forget the 15 grand. This is a champagne party, baby. We're, do you realize what's been grace to me? Do you realize how I've been forgiven? Come on, let's go. Amen. But that's not how he, asked, how he responded to the grace he had already received. And so the king said, that's wicked. The enemy would love to fix your eyes on the wrongs of others. He would love for you to forget how you've been graced. He would love for you to lose all proportion about the grace that you've received in Jesus Christ. Forget about it. It just, becomes, it, just, it just fades into the distance. It just becomes a Sunday morning thing and not an all my life long thing. That's the work of the enemy. And once he's got you there, then when you come across the wrongs of somebody else, he can fix your eyes on their wrongs and you've forgotten long ago about the cross of Jesus Christ. And you take them for all that they owe you. And you punish them. Pay back what you owe. You've wronged me. You said this then, so I'm saying this now. You didn't do this then, so I'm not doing this now. And you try to settle your own score. The enemy would love to have his eyes fixed on, have your eyes fixed on what the score is and have you forget completely about the cross Because when you fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ, what you see is all of your sin nailed there. All of His grace given to you in abundance. All of your debt paid. And by what? Your work? None of your work. By His grace alone, He has just given you freedom. He has just given you heaven. He has just given you Himself. He has just given you righteousness from Christ. He's just given you brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's given you His kingdom. He's welcomed you in. And you did nothing to deserve that. That's the gospel. And when you have your eyes fixed on the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you run into your fellow servants in the hall at home. You run into your fellow servants over the phone. You run into your fellow servants at church. Do they owe you? They might. But you're not playing the enemy's game anymore. You've got your eyes fixed on the grace of God. And you say, hey, forget what you owe. Forget what you owe. Don't mention it. It's a party. Come with me. Let's go be in the presence of the King of grace. Together. I have no anger for you. If there's anything between us, let's deal with it today. And you know what? It's not going to be me trying to get what you owe. It's not. It's going to be me forgiving you. Because of him. Because of him. Why don't you stand with me all over this place?